Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to ALRPRA's Law Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Augustine. This show is produced by ALRPRA Incorporated, a national law practice management agency headquartered downtown Chicago, Illinois, and serving greater Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C. We also partner with U.S. and international law firms for international legal issues. We help manage our clients' business so they can spend more time practicing law. Our primary activities are law firm public relations, marketing, and credentialing. We are also offering a wide variety of practice management services to help you with all the back-end business of managing a law firm. Today's guest is Edward Brooks. Edward runs the LPO program, a consulting 2.0 business that delivers its clients all the tools, knowledge, data, and support necessary to carry out complex legal process outsourcing projects. The program enables law firms and in-house legal counsel to quickly determine the appropriate LPO strategy for their specific circumstances, as well as giving clients the equivalent in an MBA in legal legal process outsourcing. The program significantly cuts project timetables and risks and delivers a clearly articulated LPO strategy. Since joining Accenture in 2000, Edward has had 11 years in outsourcing and offshoring sector, leading over $5 billion worth of deals in areas as diverse as financial, accounting, HR, clinical research, customer services, and legal process outsourcing. This experience has covered the full project life cycle from designing and selling delivery models through to implementation and operation. At one client, he had personally responsibility for paying the UK's armed forces, totaling £10 billion each year. For the last four years, Edward has worked as an advisor to major corporations, talking to them, taking through them through the complex process of determining the appropriate delivery strategy, whether that be in-house, onshore, offshore, or outsourced, and then ensuring the successful implementation of that strategy. As a chartered accountant with experience of running businesses and establishing new ventures, Edward brings a strong commercial perspective to any organization. By keeping executives and project teams focused on strategic objectives and then the short-term issues, he has been able to thrive in some of the most challenging environments. Living between New York and the UK, Edward is thankful for BBC Radio 4's Now Show and News Quiz for keeping him informed and entertained about the world, and as for the Wall Street Journal for its constantly changing status quo, reminding us of how interconnected this small planet truly is. So by way of introduction, uh, we also have a great show for you this afternoon. We want to let you know we do take your caller questions at area code 917-889-9732, option one to be placed in the queue, and our we can also take your questions by email at any time, nick at alrpra.com. Again, N-I-C-K at alrpra.com. Please put Law Talk Radio in the subject line. By way of disclaimer, before we read some announcements, this is a general information program, and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice. Results may vary and are based on specific facts and location. Communication with our and among our attorney guests and callers on this show does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship. If you have further questions, you are always encouraged to consult with an attorney and or professional in your area. This programming is also politically neutral and objective, and counterpoints to views expressed on this show are always welcome. Finally, all of our callers remain confidential, and the rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. A few quick announcements we want to tell you about. First, the international software and technology law firm of Marcus Stephen Harris, LLC, presents their next software licensing webinar this coming February 15, 2011, presentation titled Free Webinar, Negotiating Software Licenses with Attorney Marcus Stephen Harris. Negotiating software licenses is a complicated process that takes knowledge and skill. Changing technology and new methods for software development and delivery have changed the game, and the consequences of getting it wrong can be severe. This webinar will focus on understanding software licenses, their background, and how to maximize your rights while minimizing your risks during the negotiation process.
Marcus Harris is an attorney who works with technology companies, software developers, and users regarding software development, licensing, ownership, and distribution. Prior to entering the private practice, he was senior corporate counsel at SSA Global Technologies and a global ERP software vendor. Mr. Harris also worked in the legal contracts department of SAP, where he drafted and negotiated hundreds of technology-related agreements with SAP's Fortune 500 customer base. For more information about Marcus Stephen Harris, please visit www.mshtechlaw.com. And if you'd like to attend this webinar, you can find a link on the Law Firm's blog under the Publications tab. Additionally, as ALRPRA is promoting this event, you can email me for more information. My email again is nick at ALRPRA.com. And we thank you for passing along this information and good event to other people who you might find want to know more about software licensing and uh, negotiating those deals. Second uh, announcement of the day, Mary Erlane, our friend and business coach, works to help professionals who learn the skill of connecting the dots and removing barriers in business. On March 15, 2011, from 8 to 9.30 a.m., Mary will conduct a hands-on Leadership for Women workshop for women rainmakers and leaders in business. This event will be held in the large boardroom at 35 East Wacker Drive in Chicago, and ALRPRA is sponsoring your registration fees, making this a free event. Come by and enjoy a light breakfast and enjoy this pragmatic and acclaimed executive leadership workshop. The Leadership for Women program includes content on issues affecting women in business, such as statistics, barriers, positive leadership qualities of women, goal setting, the challenges of conditioning, and the formula for success. When you attend Mary's workshops, you'll learn how to build a positive self-image, understand motivation, approach the challenges of leadership, time management, and communication. Now, space is limited, so please do register today by emailing me, nick at ALRPRA.com, with women rainmakers and business leaders in the subject line if you'd like to reserve your complimentary seat at this workshop. ALRPRA Incorporated is a Chambers Executive Suites tenant, and thanks to Chambers for co-sponsoring this event. Now, without further ado, we announce our esteemed guest today, Edward Brooks, to tell us about uh, all about LPO and outsourcing, onshoring, offshoring, and all the things that and buzzwords that we hear about so often. And now we get to dig a little deeper into it. So, Edward, thank you for being on the show today. Well, my pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. So, let's get started and talk a little bit in our first segment um, about the background to the current situation. So, let's get some definitions, talk about outsourcing. Uh, set the scene, if you will, uh, on what sort of issues there are going on, what are the additional barriers, um, what are the threats to outsourcing. And it's a very big buzzword now, especially in the IT sector, where so many things have been outsourced to other countries, and other countries seem to be outsourcing them on downstream. So let's hear it from you. Yeah, I think one of the you touched on one of the key points there with um, your comments about IT there, is that, you know, what... Uh, the legal profession is facing, kind of the challenges it's facing, really have been faced, you know, by you know the IT sector, by HR, by finance, by customer services, you know, you know, over the last 10 to 12 years. So I think you know it's quite easy to see the pattern of um, the challenges and see the pattern of evolution, you know, which facing is going to face lawyers, you know, now and in the coming years, just by looking at you know what's happened in other professions. So. My first confession is that you know, I'm going to talk about the background and some of the, sort of the, the wider political issues, but one of the things that has come out of that is I, I am totally wrong. I expected um, you know, a lot of um, sort of the political sentiment, political kind of you know, talk to actually affect the, the evolution of, of this sector in particular and outsourcing in general. But in reality, it's quite the opposite, and I'll go into that in more detail um, over, the, over, the, over the rest of this hour. But first of all, I think, um, Nick, one of the things you were keen to talk about was the actual definitions, you know, what exactly is outsourcing, what exactly is offshoring. Is that right? Correct. Well, I always view outsourcing as really fundamentally about giving it to a specialist, giving work to a specialist who specializes in a particular niche. Um, you know, when I'm talking at conferences, I always um, ask everyone in the audience to stand up. Everyone who's got two jobs, ask them to stand up. Everyone who's maybe made their shoes, uh, maybe growing their, their breakfast that they had that morning, and I actually ask them to, to stand up. 
And obviously very few people do stand up because fundamentally, even in our, our day-to-day existence, we all specialise. We all have you know one or two hobbies. We've Most of us got one job, uh, maybe a couple of jobs, um, depending on things. But fundamentally, we all specialise. So outsourcing really is just about giving work to a specialist. However, I, I remember sitting watching um, in a hotel room somewhere in Iowa. I think it must have been Iowa, somewhere in the Midwest if you excuse my lack of American geography. But uh, I was sitting in 2004 watching John Kerry talking about outsourcing. And the more he talked about outsourcing, the more I realized that the the terminology was being confused, that outsourcing does not necessarily mean offshoring. Um, And certainly when I started in outsourcing 11 years ago, outsourcing really meant giving it to a specialist. I mean, we were taking work from D.C. and putting it into um, a centre in, in Virginia or taking it from London and putting it into a, a delivery centre just north of London. You know, really offshoring you know, was very, very different to outsourcing. Um, so I'd like to be very clear first that outsourcing does not necessarily mean offshoring. Obviously, outsourcing can mean offshoring, but just being very clear in the definition, you know, outsourcing is about giving work to a specialist. Um, you know, obviously, I mean, Outsourcing is heavily driven by cost, and we'll talk about legal outsourcing and why it's very, very different in a minute or two. But um, outsourcing is very driven by cost primarily. That's fundamentally why people um, start looking at outsourcing. But in all the successful outsourcing deals that I've ever seen or ever been part of, the ones that are successful are the outsourcing deals that are based around the strategic alignment. So fundamentally, people are looking for a specialist who not only provides things at the right cost, provides services at the right costs, but actually maybe can provide access to a flexible labour pool, can um, offer them variable costing, can offer them um, the ability to ramp up and ramp down depending on on, uh, volumes. Um, and, And that's what people get from outsourcing. If some of that is delivered from China, the Philippines, or India, then so be it. But fundamentally, you're buying into that flexibility. You're buying into that strategic alignment with the business direction. So that's offshoring and outsourcing, hopefully defined as clearly as possible. But again, um, there are blurs, huge blurs and overlaps between the two. But there's one other slight definition, is that offshoring can be done within your own business. So, you know, going back 15 years, you know, people at General Electric or GE um, set up delivery centers in India. And these were internal delivery centers that they owned, that they operated. And obviously, they probably brought consultants in to, to get them up off the ground. But fundamentally, these were internal operations. So even though they were offshored, even though they were delivering from India and the Philippines, fundamentally, they were not outsourced. They were just delivered by a different part of the same organization. Um, so, and more and more that has become the trend, and I'd like to talk about that later on, about why that's particularly a growth area for, for law firms at the moment. Um, so that's roughly the definition of outsourcing, offshoring, and um, one other terminology you hear a lot is the word onshoring. And onshoring or nearshoring, or the slightly pejorative term in the UK is called uh, northshoring. Um, and northshoring basically means taking work from London and giving it to the north of England or Northern Ireland or Scotland. Um, but fundamentally, it's about taking work and keeping it on shore. So it's taking work from a law firm in, in New York or DC and taking it to a lower cost location and delivering the same kind of work from an internal sh- uh, service center in perhaps Mississippi or, or um, uh, Louisiana. So four key words, outsourcing, offshoring, onshoring and um, in-house delivery. I'm sorry, what was the last? In-house delivery. So you you can carry in-house delivery of services onshore or offshore. So in-house delivery of services. Can you explain that a little bit more? I'm having a hard time really wrapping my head around that one. But in-house delivery of services onshore, is that the same as onshoring? Yes, exactly. This is, this is why fundamentally you need a huge Venn diagram and people to, to actually work through the, the logic of each of the, the terminologies and where they also overlap. So you can have an in-house delivery center that's offshored. You can have an in-house delivery center that's onshore. Um, you can have it blended, and the word blended means a bit of both, um, so maybe some onshore or some offshore. Um, 
similarly kind of a blended delivery model where part of the work is outsourced to a third party, maybe in India or maybe in, in uh, onshore in the States. Um, the really, the really the terminology gets more and more confusing, more uh, permutations you realize can actually be, be worked through in this. Very good information. We're going to pause for a short commercial break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to first talk about how the market is reacting to onshoring, and we'll discuss some of the considerations that uh, businesses consider and look at when looking to have work uh, either go overseas or onshore or uh, off-site. So all sorts of great information. Edward, thank you again for being on the show today. We're just going to pause for a quick commercial break. Anyone who has just tuned in, you're listening to the Lawyer's Toolbox program on ALRPRA's Law Talk Radio. Our first commercial sponsor of the day is Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme. When you need the right legal services to advance your creativity, now we're thinking about marketing law, call the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme brings big law firm experience and reputation to her intellectual property law firm, serving national corporate clients in the areas of trademark, copyright, internet law, and advertising law. You can find the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme by visiting nkdlaw.com and also by searching for the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme on Facebook. By clicking the Like button on the law firm's business page, you'll receive periodic blog updates with recent developments in the rapidly changing field of intellectual property law. Our second sponsor of the day is the lawyer market. Now let me tell you, this is one of the best kept secrets for solos and small firms trying to market their practices. It's a listing site, and you can join the lawyer market for free. And the online marketplace will actually send you the name and contact information of consumers who are interested in hiring you. The lawyer marketplace offers a win-win solution to its listed attorneys and the potential clients searching for their legal services. Please visit thelawyermarket.com forward slash lawyers for more information. That website again is thelawyermarket.com. Now back to our show. We invite our callers to come up with questions, 917-889-9732, option one for the caller queue. And as always, email nick at alrpra.com. Now back to Edward Brooks. Edward, I, I'm so thankful that you gave us those definitions, and I, I hope that people at home are drawing themselves a Venn diagram as suggested to uh, stay on, on target of, of what we're talking about with these different definitions because they all have different uh, implications but are all really good services for people who are trying to compete in, in such a competitive market. And again, uh, a lot of our audience listeners are small firms, uh, small to medium-sized law firms and solo practitioners. Um, and and was one of the things that we often talk about are the uh, virtual paralegals and all sorts of different uh, things that you know are within the rubric of what Edward's talking about today. So, uh, Edward, how is the market reacting, um, for example, with onshoring, offshoring, and outsourcing? Well, I guess, as I said in my introduction, the way the market's reacted has been slightly different to what I would have expected. I mean, the environment that uh, I think the, the rhetoric that's been floating around over the last, you know, certainly five, six, seven years in the political landscape, whether it's, you know, I mean, John Kerry, Barack Obama, or even the Tea Party, you know, fundamentally quite um, a very protectionist message been going out from a whole range of um, of political voices. Um, you know, leading up to, I guess, even actions by um, in Ohio, the executive order passed that no public sector um, organization could outsource any of its activities uh, to a, to an offshore location. Um, so, with that kind of like you know headline grabbing rhetoric, I was very much convinced that this would kind of um, put a nail in the coffin. Well, maybe not put a nail in the coffin, but certainly slow down the growth of outsourcing generally. And primarily because you know so many lawmakers are actually lawyers, um, I thought it would actually have a negative impact on the on legal process outsourcing. But really what's happened is, you know, that the market has moved on. I mean, obviously, the, the economic slowdown in the last couple of years, well, that's the euphemism, um, but certainly the economic crisis of the last couple of years, um, you know, has said almost regardless of what's happening at a political level, you know, the market has evolved quite considerably to actually, um, 
you know, law firms and, and, and health legal departments have almost been forced to look at outsourcing because, as you said earlier, you know, the IT departments have outsourced, the finance departments maybe have been outsourced, customer services have been outsourced. So many of the lawyers that worked on the agreements, which um, were behind the outsourcing of other functions, are now being asked the question, you know, how can you deliver your services at the most cost-effective um, level for our organization? And right. typically, the legal budget will not be a huge percentage of, of an organization's overall costs. And obviously, that varies depending on whether it's pharmaceuticals, you know, tobacco, you know, or, or dot-com startup. You know, the, the, the percentage of your legal costs compared to your turnover will be a lot, will vary considerably, but are seldom likely to be you know, hugely material unless you're in certain um, key industries. Um, but now, law is having the same kind of. Um, uh, attention put on it that, that other professions had had over the last 10 years. Um, so th there was that kind of political background, but the way the market has reacted has been really interesting. And I, I, I take it into sort of, I split it into you know four or five different categories. You know, the way the suppliers have reacted, the way the law firms have reacted, and, and then house legal departments, the way the, the actual um, or, um, country regions have reacted, and I'll go into that in a minute, um, the opportunities for new countries. Um, you know, but starting with the suppliers, when you speak to the executives and suppliers, um, I'm talking about the major, you know, top five uh, legal process outsourcers. Their view in the market is that they expect to be carrying out more than 50% of their activities uh, onshore. And you talk to them a bit further, um, and you actually realise that they are talking about a, an engine of growth for onshore delivery. So even though law, law jobs are potentially being, sorry, even though law activity has been taken from law firms or in his legal departments, it's still being kept within the country. It's being channeled to much more efficient, high productivity um, uh, process centres, you know, staffed by skilled, skilled paralegals or, or educated graduates who maybe aren't lawyers but are able to do the work, the same kind of work, same quality of work. Um, um, at a much tighter level of, of, of supervision and a higher level of um, efficiency, but again, fundamentally onshore. So even though the suppliers know that they'll be doing a lot of work offshore, their messages and their, their, their conversations with their potential clients are, we can deliver and we expect to be delivering work onshore for you. I mean, obviously, there's a number of legal issues that just make that you know, the case regardless of um, you know what a law firm or a supplier would like to do. You know, there's legislation, there's the confidentiality of data, there's the transfer of data to like, across borders. There's a whole number of issues which one by one are getting addressed by the market. But you know, there are still barriers that means that a lot of work just either cannot be taken offshore, um, or the the customer, the end customer, is uncomfortable with it being taken offshore. So certainly for the next couple of years, you know, 50% of the of, of the outsourcing activity will be taking place onshore. So that that's very much how the suppliers have reacted to the marketplace, and that's not driven by the political landscape. That's driven by the hard facts of the market, and the hard facts of selling to a, a profession that, um, I guess, being very honest, hasn't really changed that much in a long period of time. It's it's probably slightly slower in its adoption of technology than any other, um, you know, equivalent profession. I mean, compare them to um, the, the major accountancy firms. You know, there hasn't been that, you know, huge consolidation that created the likes of PwC. There is no equivalent uh, on the law side that, that even comes close to the size of, of the major law, uh, major accountancy firms. Um, so there hasn't been that consolidation. There hasn't been that technology-driven um, evolution. And um, so fundamentally, the lawyers are probably at least five years behind the other professions in their in their revolution of their own delivery model. I mean, from a law firm point of view, regardless of their comfort level with outsourcing as a concept, um, you know, their clients have asked for cost savings and they've had to react. The, the law firms that we work with realise that the best way to deal with the outsourcing market and the opportunity, well, the best way to deal with the outsourcing market is to view it as an opportunity, not a threat, and actually have a very positive message when they go and speak to you know, general counsel about delivery of services and how they're going to do them quickly and at the right price. And so the general counsel are fundamentally paying for um, the value-add services, the high-end value services, and not for, you know, you know, second-year graduates to actually be doing you know, detailed research work at $500 an hour. There's a slight exaggeration there, but uh, I just tried to make the point. 
That's a very good point and well taken, and uh, especially where general counsels, and for those of our listening audience who um, are unaware, uh, the general counsel often acts like a quarterback in outsourcing and finding uh, people to get the work done because they don't have them necessarily in-house, so um, it, it makes a lot of sense. So continue on, Edward. This is very interesting. Well, my only request um, is please don't use any football analogies. Um, I can go as far as soccer, but um, American sports, <laughs> despite the fact, despite the fact, you know, I spent three weeks of the month in New York. Um, I, I really struggle with um, sporting um, uh, analogies, and if you do, if you keep doing with football, then I'll, I'll retaliate with cricket. <laughs> Okay, I will refrain. We uh, I will refrain from the football analogies. So go ahead. <laughs> so, so, law firms are you know catching up on on what's available and the opportunity. As I say, you know, the, the clients that we work with, they go to their end clients with a very positive and well thought through message about how they're going to use outsourcing, if at all. But once they can actually articulate the strategy, then the conversation they have with the general counsel is much clearer because they can talk about where the work's taking place. Um, well, first of all, they can say why they're using an outsourcer or a specialist and why they're not using it. Um, you, know, they get, you know, a lot of people just say, well, strategically, we just don't want to do it. They've got a very clear reason for it, and that's fantastic. Um, but again, the general counsel likes to hear that information. They likes to hear why. Um, and that's a lot more powerful than having no answer at all. Um, it's really about taking, just going on the front foot to these to these kind of meetings. But I mean, there was a deal uh, towards the end of last year in the UK um, with with uh, Herbert Smith, and they they set up or they're in the process of setting up an onshore low cost delivery model based out of Northern Ireland. And the reason why I picked that as an example is because. Uh, no, obviously Northern Ireland is uh, within the United Kingdom. Um, it's a relatively, well, in fact, surprisingly low-cost delivery location with a very, very strong educational um, um, tradition. So they realised they could get very good quality graduates who maybe weren't lawyers to do delivery work um, under the supervision of, their, of, the, of one of their partners, but um, not in London fundamentally, um, not in London, and also, you know, not not overseas. And, and that model has been used by many, many uh, companies. You know, as I say, right, go, go back to the beginning of my time in outsourcing. Outsourcing fundamentally meant giving it to a specialist, um, a typically a third party. But, he, but here is Herbert Smith taking their own operations from London and then transplanting them to Northern Ireland. And I raise that as an example because even though it's not been made public, and I'm, I'm filling in the gaps here, there certainly um, is likely to have been regional assistance from the Northern Ireland Development Boards. Um, who are concerned with growing the economy in, in their area, I, I will be very surprised if there was not some sort of support or encouragement, um, whether it's in, you know, uh, reduced property taxes or whether it's in direct assistance, I'm not too sure. But it really, because I think Northern Ireland saw the value of taking these non-legal but still high-value um, um, uh, outsourcing jobs and, have, and creating some kind of... Um, um, op operating capability based at Northern Ireland, and I'd be very surprised if, if other, you know, low tax, low um, uh, low cost US states were not going to be offering similar incentives to law firms, um, you know, relocating back office activities or or, or low value activities um, uh, to them. When I, mean, I say low value activities, I actually mean that's very relative. It's lower value activities. These are still activities that people are willing to pay fifty, hundred, hundred and fifty dollars an hour to to to, to receive. Mm -hmm. right. So it goes so it goes back to what the suppliers see as you know outsourcing being an engine of growth, being an engine of growth onshore, um, and the US and the UK sort of regions realizing that actually if we get on this bandwagon, we can create delivery hubs. Um, Around in non-high-cost locations that actually will, you know, be be uh, job creators. Um, and obviously, you, you've probably noticed that all the analogies that I've used, all the examples I've used so far, are talking about the US and the UK. I mean, so far, the outsourcing market, the legal process outsourcing market, is about 85% based out of the US and the UK, or, or the clients are based in the US or, or the UK. 
and there's very little outsourcing of legal activities in any other um, you know, area around the world, mainly because of the language issue. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting, Edward. When why I uh, not that I've always claimed to be ahead of the curve, but when I started my company in 2005, ours was based on uh, I suppose what we were doing was onshore outsourcing of research and writing activities for small firms and solo lawyers that had things that came in outside of their practice area, and we were offering those at a lower price point, so then they could turn around and give it to the client and save the client money. So um, it really, this has been a simple, you know, simple, it's quite a simple uh, uh, process to, to get that done. Uh, it's just a matter of, it seems like, educating those out there, especially the bigger law firms, uh, on reducing some of their internal departments and continuing on with this. So as we're, as we're just, well, this is of your final note on, on market wrap-up. Um, do you see resistance, or do you see that people like finding a way to offer their clients a good value add? Uh, because really, it's respect for the clients, and those clients are going to stick around because it seems to me that the market will demand more outsourcing, whether it's onshore or offshore. And this is really going to be the market-driven expectation. So do you find people are willing and ready, or are you finding resistance? Well, I need to be slightly diplomatic here. Um, resistance is probably not the right word. I'd certainly say slow adoption. Um, I... I, I as an accountant by training, you know, part of my training when I was with Ernst & Young based out of London, you know, we were in, in different businesses every couple of weeks. We were, you know, auditing different businesses. We were in different business cultures every single week. We were actually on site. Uh, but if you're a lawyer, you know, you're really working in your law firm um, and using the existing law firm processes and your ability to maybe work in a supply chain function for, um, uh, you know, a grocery store um, or maybe to uh, work on a re-engineering project, you know, um, around um, you know, your finance function, you just don't get that kind of wider experience. So you're used to doing things the way they've always been done. So then along comes, you know, you know something like legal process sourcing, Along comes you know new technologies, and you know, you know it takes a bit of um, education to get up the curve. Even though it's where other professions are, you know the, the legal exposure to other professions and other kind of issues just aren't there. So, without taking away any sort of credibility from the lawyers, the, the profession is certainly seven to ten years behind other areas, other professions in its adoption of different delivery models. And so, so, you know, what's done by an in-house counsel, what's done by a law firm, and what's done by an LPO, that whole kind of um, territorial turf war um, or realignment, you know, is still in its early, early infancy. It, you know, it hasn't worked. It hasn't. Um, it hasn't worked its way through yet. And I think it's going to be certainly several years, maybe five to ten years, before finally the boundaries are redefined between what's given to an LPO, what's kept by a law firm, and what's done by an in-house counsel. Yeah, I agree, and I agree with those predictions. And I'll tell you, I have I've faced some negativity and um, and, and heat, for lack of a better example, for talking a lot about reforming how law practices operate and how clients are billed, because uh, most of the clients out there are are squeezed by the current economic circumstances. They can't uh, afford the traditional fees. And that stem, that also continues onto the business sector. And the thing that I continue to tell people is that once there's a consumer expectation of value billing and value-added services, those who are not going forward will be sorely left behind. Um, and we'll pause real quickly, and I'll read our daily legal news for the day. Um, and it comes actually uh, a story about DLA Piper, DLA Piper being uh, one of the firms that I've held in great esteem because they have been uh, certainly spot on when it comes to trying to find better ways to serve clients with, at a value-conscious level, showing respect for those clients and uh, you know, respecting the, the circumstances in which we all operate our business. And, again, the you know law firms – 
some are slower to adapt, uh, but I think that those who are enlisting the help of professionals like yourself, Edward, are going to find the tremendous value and will hopefully be taking advantage of more of these opportunities. So we'll be back very shortly in a moment after we have some daily legal news and message from a sponsor. Uh, by the way, anyone who has just recently tuned in, you are listening to the Lawyer's Toolbox program on ALRPRA's Law Talk Radio. Our daily news comes from the AMLAW dailies, and AMLAW daily news article today, which was posted January 27th at 1.13 p.m. Central Time, is titled, With Down Under Merger, DLA Employs More Lawyers Than Any Other Firm. Posted by Anthony Lynn, the text reads as follows. DLA Piper announced Thursday that it plans to fully merge with Australian alliance partner DLA Phillips Fox in a move aimed at giving the law firm a much larger footprint in the Asia-Pacific region and positioning it as the largest law firm in the world in terms of the number of lawyers. Partners from both firms are expected to overwhelmingly approve the merger next month with an integration of the 700-lawyer Australian firm set for May 1st, according to DLA Piper press release announcing the merger. The merger will give DLA Piper offices throughout Australia. A New Zealand arm will not be included in the merger, but will continue to operate as an affiliate. By at least one measure, the combination makes DLA Piper the largest law firm in the world. The law firm will now have more than 4,000 lawyers throughout the U.S. and international partnerships while operating under the same management. These are technically separate and run under a Swiss veteran structure. The largest law firm in the world or not, DLA Piper, will undeniably be one of the largest firms operating in Australia and, the firm hopes, in an expanded Asia-Pacific market. The belief that Australia offers an attractive path into Asia has motivated a number of major moves down under by international firms over the past year or so. At the beginning of 2010, British firm Norton Rose completed a tie-up with Australia's Deakins, a combination the firm said was targeted at Asia. Allen & Overy also launched Australian offices last year with the stated goal of capturing work on cross-border Asia-Australia deals. Clifford Chance explored a merger with Australian legal giant Malson's Stephen Jacques in 2008, according to Legal Week and others, has more recently talked to boutique firms in Sydney and Perth. For more from this story, you can find information on the AMLAW Daily News. Our third sponsor of the day is Jim Thompson from the Get Clients Now program. Jim Thompson is a seasoned attorney and marketing coach, and he can help you take the crucial steps towards increasing your firm's revenues. The Get Clients Now program employs, employs various time-honored techniques to help you attract new business and encourage referrals. Jim is going to be a recurring guest on our Lawyer's Toolbox program regarding attorney marketing. To learn more about Jim Thompson and the Midwest Consulting Group, please visit MidwestConsultants.net and also check out his testimonials on Facebook by searching Get Clients Now. ALRPRA strongly endorses the Get Clients Now program and understands the personal accountability component of this course. Again, you can get in touch with Jim Thompson today by visiting MidwestConsultants.net. Now back to our program. We are very proud to have Edward Brooks talking to us about onshoring, offshoring, and all the other uh, components that affect decisions uh, of firms um, on whether to decide to uh, keep things in-house or onshore or offshore, outsource them. I hope I'm getting this all right. And I hope you're following along with your Venn diagram at home and, and making sense of the different definitions and advantages. So in our third segment, we'll talk a little bit about what should, could be uh, onshore, why, where, how you might do this, and what are the benefits and also the risks. Edward. Back to you. Okay. We, um, when we're with clients, we, we spend typically the first couple of days, in fact, probably the first chunk of any any um, project, really talking through the market and what's the, uh, again, to use, it's a bit of a cliche to use the phrase, but uh, the art of the possible, you know, really what are the boundaries, what, where the, what is classed as leading edge, what is kind of, you know, basic low risk, um, what's low hanging fruit. Um, but one of the things that, one of the messages we always give clients is, you know, you are in control. You're in control of, you know, you know, 
where the work is carried out, where you want it to be carried out, you're in control of, um, you know, obviously what you choose to outsource or not outsource. Um, I mean, I'm stating the obvious here, but, it, you know, people always feel it's a bit like um, um, they're going to a restaurant and the menu's already already laid out for them. The market is slightly, um, it's still in an evolutionary stage. You know, there are fun, a lot of areas which are, um, you know, low-hanging fruit that are very transactional that can just go straight, be outsourced very easily. But because there's still evolution happening in the market, there is no, there is no, you know, um, set menu. There is no a la carte. It's very much, you know, you have a chance to control um, you, your destiny, and that applies as much to what is outsourced as to where the work is carried out from. So, in discussions with any supplier nowadays, very early on, you can actually state that you want your work to be outsourced, but you want it to be carried out within the 50 states of the United States, or you want it to be carried out within within the UK. And more and more, I mean, certainly in, in both of those key outsourcing countries, um, there are emerging delivery centres. I mean, in the UK, it's Bristol. In the States, well, there's, a, there's actually a couple of them, but, you know, the 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 they really are driven by, um, uh, I, I was going to say Kentucky or, um, or Kansas. I always get the two mixed up, but again, that goes back to my heritage in Britain, not my location in the United States. But um, there are a couple of emerging hubs taking place, uh, growing in, in, in the UK and the US from where you can choose to have you know, high quality um, the services delivered from under the auspices of an outsourced provider. So again, best of both worlds, onshored but offshored. One of the things we also tell clients very early on is that no matter how complex the deal is that they're trying to outsource, you know, these deals are painful. I mean, you don't get to a low cost, a lower cost, flexible delivery model without changing the way that you do things. Um, I don't know if you've been following the press you know, over the last week. One of the one of the largest outsourcing deals of last year in the legal sector was the CMS deal with Integrion. And I think there was some surprise, um, certainly initially, that you know Integrion were taking over delivery capability in the heart of London. You know, it doesn't really sound like a low cost location. And it's only really in the last week that the news has trickled out that actually, um, you know, they don't intend to deliver many of the services from London, from the centre of London. A lot of them are being relocated to a different, um, a lower cost uh, English location. Um, and that, that really shouldn't be a surprise to anyone because no matter whether you're outsourcing to an onshore or an offshore location, you really are changing a delivery model. And that inevitably means um, a change to your headcount, an impact on your staff, um, and a whole issue around morale um, and how you manage um, that kind of whole change program. So the two key messages we give clients very early on is you're in control, but also this is difficult. There isn't quite a happy ending where everyone wins. I want to talk later on about one particular model, which is going to be the biggest opportunity for law firms and, and larger in-house legal firms later uh, during 2011. It's the one opportunity that's available for people to control their own destiny. But for the average outsourcing deal, they are difficult, but you are in control. Um, you asked about benefits, I and mean, we've, we've touched about benefits before. I mean, the benefits, we, we all say the benefits of understanding your strategy are probably the biggest benefits of all. Understanding why you've got a strategy, what your strategy is, even as I said earlier, if it's not to use outsourcing, going through the analysis process, going through the thought process about you know what outsourcing could offer, what the benefits are, and whether you decide yes or no. And we use the phrase LPO, yes or no. Um, you know whether you decide to use it or not use it. Having gone through that strategic evaluation up front, it creates that organisational environment whereby you know where you stand from day one. You know where you stand internally, and you know where you stand when you're speaking to potential clients. But if people do choose outsourcing, then the benefits are you know access to a labour pool that's flexible and highly likely to be lower cost. And um, but one of the things that is more and more getting played upon is that. You know, everyone talks about labor arbitrage, you know, moving work from New York to Kansas, moving New York to uh, Mississippi or from London to Northern Ireland. The labor arbitrage is kind of certainly one of the one of the stools of one of the legs of the stool in outsourcing. But more and more, 
This is about process redesign. This is about accessing skills and knowledge and capability that your average law firm may have to some extent, but doesn't really have in the droves that's essential to transform an operation. And I'm talking about six Sigma skills, lean manufacturing skills, project management skills, um, and all the technology required to automate and um, streamline processes as much as possible. You know, so when I talk about outsourcing, I see that there's definitely the cost arbitrage, labor arbitrage benefits, there's the huge process um, management, process optimization benefits, and then there's also the the, the commercialization and the, the sheer commercial control over your operations so that you know the volumes you're going, that you're, you're you know the volumes that are going through your organization, you know the cost per, dare I say it, and the lawyers don't like the word, but the cost per transaction, and they understand the cost of an end-to-end process, um, and you actually are able to commercialize and have a very tight control over something that was probably lost in, in the mist of, of uh, traditional legal firms' operations. What about some of the risks? Those are, there are so many benefits and there's so many, um, so many things to look at and consider. What are some of the risks that you have seen? I know that, first of all, one of the risks that I know most people will identify is uh, silenced by the uh, domestic onshoring of some of the outsourcing because people are concerned about language barriers. Other than that, though, what are some of the risks? Well, I think the language barrier issue affects some activities which uh, require spoken English. But if you're not requiring spoken English in your, you know, and I mean, the quality of English, you know, in India, uh, amongst the people doing the work there, is very, very high. There may be accent issues. I mean, I obviously, speaking as a Scotsman, um, as a slight anecdote, did a webcast last week between myself, a Scotsman, and a venture capitalist who's invested in one of the major law firms, one of the major LPOs. Um, and when we asked for the, the, the webcast to be transcribed, the American transcriber, just threw up their hands in, in shock and said, look, I can't deal with the Indian accent and I can't deal with the Scottish accent. <laughs> but, fundamentally, <laughs> um, but fundamentally, you know, you know our, both of our English is very, very good. So you know, a lot of it is accent-driven, not actually about the issue of the underlying uh, quality of English. Um, so if you're talking about things that don't require voice, then you know, the, there, are, there should be very few barriers beyond that, which is... Um, um, either too sensitive or it's not allowed to be transferred across borders. But, but what, one of the risks we see is, well, the first risk is not having a strategy, not knowing what, why you're doing or why you're using or not using um, outsourcing. But to actually make the change process, as I've hinted earlier, um, with the CMS deal and then the Herbert Smith deal, um, to actually go through that change process is a long drawn out um, um, project. This is not sort of uh, one bang and it's all done. You know, the analysis, uh, the the organisational review that takes place internally. There's a lot of soul searching before anyone you know makes a change to their delivery model, especially if it's going to affect the, the the way they do business and also the the the, the lives of, of their colleagues. So that may sound a bit melodramatic, but it, you know it's, it's certainly you know, a key issue when people are going through the process. But, you know, an outsourcing project is probably six months and it's from working out what the strategy is to even starting to um, execute the strategy. So there is that period of, of, of flux, a period of turmoil, and um, when, when you just really don't have a clear message because you're going through the evaluation as to what the options could be. And as with any kind of change, there's, there, there are huge risks. I mean, for the, if you put in technology, there's, there's an added, added risk altogether. But change fundamentally in any established organization is, 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 is hard, hard work. But the, also the skill set, if you do move to a new delivery model, and this applies whether you've kept the work onshore, moved the work offshore, whether you've kept it in-house and moved it to your own internal low-cost delivery location, the actual skill set to manage a new operation is different to your traditional partner setup. But a partner will be very good at managing um, managing the you know client relationships, managing delivery of, of uh, the legal work, but managing an external supplier and uh, managing to SLAs, managing to uh, key performance indicators, it's a different skill set. I I would argue that it's probably the wrong thing for a law partner to be doing unless they um, they happen to have a real huge interest in it. 
but you know the value add they give in that scenario compared to bringing in someone that's experienced managing um, third-party operational arrangements, it's, it's an absolutely different skill set. So not only does the outsourced or the um, offshored part of the business have to change and adapt, but the actual part that's left inside managing the relationship with the supplier has to change and adapt as well. And it may be that the people that were used to managing the processes internally have to either be upskilled or change the skills or be replaced to have someone who's much more used to managing complex third-party relationships. Very interesting. Very, it's a very interesting dynamic as you uh, as you bring up and highlight there. And I know I have a friend who works as a project manager for a data company, and they have certain people in uh, India who are working on part of the project, and then there are certain people in England um, who are working on the project. I'm not sure exactly where they were, but. Um, and so he, you know, the individual I know, who's the project manager, is is sort of key coordinating all of these things. And there's an incredible amount of patience and flexibility that people need to have to learn to work with each other with different styles and work deliveries and and all sorts of things. So um, when we get back, let's pause for a break, and then I'm going to ask you about your opinions on a, a project manager as a, a position in a law firm, and maybe that was something. What was your next point? Um, but we'll be right back after our uh, final break, and we want to bring you some law practice management resources. And our first resource of the day comes from ABA, ababooks.org, and very apropos, the title is About Competition Laws Outside the United States, Second Edition. Competition Laws Outside the United States, Second edition is the premier English language treatise providing in depth coverage of over 15 leading competition regimes worldwide with which U.S. business trades are extent with work with extensively. Substantive areas include and covered are merger control, cartel enforcement, treatment of horizontal and vertical restraints, abuse of dominance, unfair trade practices, judicial procedure, and enforcement agency structure and operations. The new edition provides substantially greater depth and breadth of coverage than the prior edition and supplement, including an increased focus on intellectual property issues and amnesty and leniency programs. This new edition will have an increased global coverage, including China, Korea, and Spain. Each chapter has been authored by leading competition law practitioners from their respective jurisdictions. Each country or jurisdiction is discussed in its own chapter with a similar structure and ease of use. This new two-volume edition will provide a complete revision of the prior edition supplement, which were published in 2001 and 2005, respectively. Again, the title is About Competition Laws Outside the United States, Second Edition. Our second practice management resource of the day is the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin and Chicago Lawyer Magazine. These give up-to-date legal news uh, from around Chicago and Illinois. Also, check out the Law Bulletin blog, Attorneys in Transition, which offers advice and tips for those lawyers going through a career transition. It also hosts a monthly seminar for lawyers in flux in their careers. Visit attorneysintransition.com. Now, I do feel strongly about this advice column. I'm one of the columnists, and I'll tell you that your comments really do drive the programming and delivery of information. So please do visit the Attorneys in Transition blog and do leave a comment. Third, the Law Practice Management School, sponsored by ALRPRA, has ongoing courses and a law practice management book that has our syllabus wrapped into one nice package where you can grab the four legs of your law practice management table, those being management, marketing, technology, and finance. Again, if those are not balanced, your table will be not balanced, and your files end up on the floor. So the Law Practice Management School, call us for more information or send an email to nick at alrpra.com. Now back to our show for our final segment. We've been talking with Edward Brooks about outsourcing and the adaptation of that and the benefits to law firms. So if we could continue on our discussion in our last segment, Edward, could you uh, maybe respond to my inquiry about the, the concept of project manager at a law firm and then tell us about the real opportunities for the law firms and in-house legal departments? Yeah, as I said, um, you know, if you attend a conference on um, legal practice management, the, the concept of a, a practice, a project manager, 
it still seems new to certain people. Um, whereas, you know, most... It, this, this, the, the issue stems back to what a lawyer sees himself as doing, what law business law practice sees himself as doing. And as an outsider, you can see a whole range of processes that are run by highly educated, highly knowledgeable, highly skilled individuals, but fundamentally it's a process. Um, and you know the, the value of a project manager, and as I said earlier, talking the skills you need on top of that, you know, in Six Sigma, uh, lean manufacturing, um, and understanding how to the application of technology, you know, these are skills which just aren't commonly found within a, a, a law firm. And I'm almost certain, although um, I'd be open for a bet on this, but I'm almost certain that most um, law um, law courses in the states and the UK don't cover. Um, you know anything to do with you know process optimization? Um, yeah, again, I'm willing to take a bet on that, but I'm reasonably certain that they don't. So the concept of how to manage a process isn't built into the way a lawyer um, um, is trained, and the, and for law firms to adapt, to adapt to that is really is a change in itself. So the opportunity by partnering with an LPO is to access that kind of skills, that kind of depth of knowledge, but it still, as I said earlier, requires. Um, someone within the law firm to be able to manage that external supplier and understand what on earth is going on and what they're actually managing. Because uh, one of the biggest mistakes in outsourcing is really just throwing the issue to a supplier and not really focusing too much on on the outcomes on on how it's done, just really caring about the outcomes. Um, which is, you know, a, it's a recipe for disaster. You've got to understand how the processes have been done, what processes have been run on your behalf, even though you're not actually running those processes. And one of the best bits of advice that the ABA gave last year in its um, initial tentative guidance on, on legal process sourcing, well, one of the key things that it reminded lawyers was that even if you do outsource activities, even if you do pass activities to a third party, you're still responsible for their outcomes. And I think that was a message that other professions didn't get uh, at the early stage of their um, outsourcing evolution. And it's very important that lawyers take that on board from day one. Continue on. Yeah, so uh, one of the things, that, one of the themes, and one of the opportunities, really, for um, 2011, is that there are still major um, providers of outsourced services, legal services, who are looking to expand their footprint in onshore locations. So, if there are law firms with established and uh, or even semi-established delivery operations that um, that they've, they've spent time and money in investing in, that there is an appetite in the, in the supplier community to take over those kind of assets um, and, and integrate them within the LPO framework, but use them to, to use the same services to deliver services to a wider population. Um, so 2011 really, I mean, this window of opportunity will certainly close because there only are so many deals that can take place. But you know, I expect you know one or two deals to take place in. in in um, in the southern states of America, one or two um, deals take place in the in the northwest of America. Um, certainly in the UK, there'll be one or two deals in Northern England or Scotland, whereby the LPO actually takes over the existing operation of an established law firm, and that law firm, first of all, benefits from a, accessing a lower cost base, but may, as happened with the CMS Integrity deal last year, may also get a share um, a share allocation. Um, and become a, a minor owner in, in the outsourcer as well, but as well as also benefiting from the further economies of scale that come from delivering more services from the same size of location. So these really are kind of, I mean, they might last, these opportunities might last until 2012, but really 2011 is the key year for, you know, medium to large size law firms to decide, do they want to shape the landscape of LPO or do they want the landscape to be shaped, or do they want to shape their operations around the existing landscape? Mm. That's a very good question for a lot of people, and I hope that they see the writing on the wall and the change that's coming. And again, my prediction again is that when you have a consumer expectation for value and service, and again, um, you know, many of the law firms are slower to change, and I agree that those who are innovative 
in finding new ways to save the clients money and will necessarily uh, retain more clients and further increase the strength of their brand as a law firm. So one of the things that I will do, I really feel strongly about promoting this um, and we'll do what what I can, uh, you know, in our organization, Edward, to uh, help gain more uh, exposure for you and your group. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, your company and what you can do uh, directly, your company, for the law firms and who a target market is uh, on your end? Yeah, well, we offer, um, I guess, most of our day work, most of our work is day-to-day on-site consultancy. But more and more, what we're doing is delivering online consultancy advice. Um, so we call it consultancy 2.0, a bit cliched. But the point is, you know, this is um, people buying into sort of modules of, of consulting advice to take them through um, specific parts of the outsourcing journey. So up front, you know, someone would go through um, a, a, an assessment of what their options are for outsourcing. We charge clients a low fixed fee for taking them through um, their options, helping them gather the data, build the business case, giving them all the tools and the templates that are essential to um, any project and um, to evaluate clearly and to be able to articulate what your options are and then to be able to present that um, that summary to your executive board or your partnership board to, um, to make a decision and a final agreement. So, really, we were focused on, on helping medium to large sized law firms define what their outsourcing strategy. And as I said, our hook line is, you know, LPO, yes or no. You know, you've got to answer that question first of all before you can move forward. Um, and of the nine clients we've got going through the LPO program at the moment, seven are based in the in the in the US and two are based in the UK. I look forward to the development of this model and I look forward to hearing more about the project managers um, you know and maybe even project managers for hire I'm, I'm, I'm imagining a scenario where you have a project management uh, company that uh, oversees but I mean when you're project man- project manager on one of these operations you really need to have intimate knowledge of the organization so um, as many feel that the traditional model of law practice is going uh, by the way of the dinosaur and that there's not a significant money to be made anymore. I think that people will, my prediction again is that people will retool how they're doing things and be able to serve more clients uh, more efficiently uh, as other sectors have learned to do so. So um, I look forward to a follow-up broadcast. Uh, Edward, I'm inviting you now. If you'd be interested uh, in, in a few months, um, to tell us if the window is still open towards third quarter of 2011. Well, the one thing I would say is that these projects do have quite a long gestation period. So, um, you know, project, you know, law firms that take up the, the opportunity now will probably not be making decisions until the second half of this year and then actually executing the strategy in 2012. So uh, mm-hmm. the investors have to any law firm is, you know, the window is open now you know, by the time you realize it's closing, it will already have closed just because it takes so long to go through the process. Certainly, certainly. Now, we do have um, a sole practitioner on the line uh, who I'd like to ask after this wonderful presentation um, if our sole practitioner has any comments from the small firm. I know that uh, most of what Edward's doing is with medium and large firms, but our solo practitioner, are you there and do you have a comment? Are you referring to me? Yes. Hi, this is Melanie Bayana. Um, I just found Mr. Moore's um, broadcast to be fascinating. I am actually of Indian descent, and I know this is quite a controversial issue, and so I wanted to learn more about it. So thank you for your insight. Um, and I can see most sides of the argument, and I, I just I'm just just digesting it all right now. So. Thank you. Well, very good. It's it's very interesting. Um, it's something that, again, many of us have seen coming in the writing on the wall. So um, it's just wonderful that there are st- strong organizations with uh, great leaders, such as Mr. Brooks here, who can help those medium and larger law firms uh, ex- look at the outsourcing as an option. So um, any other contact information or ways that our listeners may be able to get a hold of you, Edward? Yeah, I mean, 
go to the lpoprogram.com. Um, my email address is eb at the lpoprogram.com. Um, I'm sure you'll send the details if, uh, on this part of the, the, the webcast or the way it's broadcast. But um, yeah, I'm very contactable, and I'm sure for yourself, Nick, you'll pass on my details. I will, certainly. Now, by way of general disclaimer before we say goodbye today, we want to remind you that this is a general information program, and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice. Results may be very be variable and based on specific facts and location. Communication with our guests and attorneys and guests on this show does not give rise to attorney-client relationships. If you have further questions, you're always encouraged to consult with an attorney and or professional in your area. Again, our programming is a politically neutral and objective counterpoint to the views expressed on our shows are certainly always welcome. Finally, all of our callers remain confidential and all rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. We remind you that these Law Talk Radio broadcasts are programmed to bring our attorney and non-attorney audiences the tips, tools, and practice area information they can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers of legal services. With our guests and listeners located worldwide, we appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio program to bring people together and share collective intelligence. This is Nick Augustine for ALRPRA Incorporated, and we thank you for your time.